Get ready for truth bombs and guidance from conservative leaders and entrepreneurs from God-fearing, freedom-loving, truth-telling, patriotic Americans. Welcome to Patriots with Grit. Now let's jump into today's episode with your host, Darren Ross. Hey everybody, welcome to the Reawaken America Tour here in Branson, Missouri. We're here with the founder of America's Frontline Doctors, Dr. Simone Gold. Now, I will tell you this, one of the first times I ever remember seeing or hearing Simone Gold was when she was standing in front of, was it the Capitol? Or? The, the Supreme Court steps. The Supreme Court steps in Washington, D.C. with her white coat, all these doctors around, and I'm like, okay, there's something off about this picture with, <laughs> when you have to have all these doctors doing this. So I jumped in and started following AFLDS, and then a local doctor, she was actually my daughter's doctor, left her practice and ended up joining Simone's team for Frontline Doctors or Gold Care. And we just happened to kind of stay on the same path. We happened to see Simone and John speak a couple times in Kansas City over the last couple of years. And I was on board from day one. So um, if you don't know her story, it's about to get really good. And uh, Simone, just take it from here. Thank you so much. So I did, I founded America's Frontline Doctors. My name is Dr. Simone Gold. And the reason I did that is the American people were being lied to. So I said, let's bring some truth directly to the American people. So I brought a bunch of doctors and a bunch of what we call YouTubers, what we call influencers now, <laughs> yep. a bunch of doctors and a bunch of YouTubers together. And we congregated on the steps of the Supreme Court. The date was July 27, 2020, and we broke the internet. It was considered the most viral video of all time. So there were 20 million views in eight hours. And then we would deplatform within one hour from everywhere simultaneously. It was clearly a monopoly. Everywhere we disappeared. And that's when we were just kind of off to the races. But we sparked a nerve and energy in the American people. And really, I didn't understand at the time just how big it was. I went from being a private citizen with maybe, I don't know, 500 people on Twitter to one week later, I had over 100,000. So people in the business said that's just unheard of. It's not a thing. And from that moment on, I, I, I devoted my life instead of what I had been doing, which is working full-time in the emergency department, I then devoted my life to working full-time to spreading the truth to the American people and then people across the world. Now, I was very badly censored on social media that, you know, that continued. You know, you, you put me on a show and it was the fastest way to get yourself kicked off. So I started doing a lot of public speaking in person, a lot of writing, etc. And really our message was that lockdowns don't work, masks don't work, early treatment exists, and most importantly, stop living in fear. Stop living in fear. So that was our message. and. You know, we're off to the races. We just I just didn't like everybody being lied to. That's what prompted me to come forward. And you're also a, 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 an attorney and a doctor, correct? Yes. My parents really had a lot of schooling to pay for. <laughs> just saying. Yep. I'm a doctor and a lawyer. Kind of, you know what? My, I come from a family of doctors, so I really wanted to distinguish myself in my family. <laughs> right. so we have three children and three doctors. I've said, well, I've got to go be a lawyer, too. Wow. But, so did you ever think when you started out being a physician that you would ever go through what we've gone through in the last two years? First of all, I think what we've gone through in the last couple of years is just so shocking. If you had said to me that doctors would overwhelmingly not do the right thing by their patients, I would have absolutely never believed it. We saw doctors abandon their patients, not treat their patients, let their patients get worse. There's never been an analogous situation in medicine where you come in with the situation, it's kind of mild, and then the doctor says, just go home until it gets much worse and life-threatening and then come back to the hospital. This is just not a thing, right? And then we'll exacerbate the whole problem. Yeah, this is just not a thing in medicine. And, and then the other thing is that, so first of all, doctors were acting in ways they'd never acted before. And they weren't. So it was the first time in, in, that I ever knew as a doctor that doctors weren't looking out and doing the right thing for patients. Very strange. And the other corollary is they 
they were not standing up also for their own profession. So we were having bureaucrats telling us what to do, and we were not pushing back. We were just accepting it. So for example, I'm a doctor in California at the time, mm -hmm. and we got a letter. All doctors in California got a letter that said that if we prescribed hydroxychloroquine for COVID, we could possibly lose our license. And I said to my peer doctors, doesn't this bother you that there's a bureaucrat just telling you how to practice? And the fact that doctors didn't get offended just on behalf of their own profession was very shocking to me. Incredible. So speaking of letters, <laughs> I, I have I'm, I'm, I just turned 57, and I don't think I've ever written a letter to anybody in jail or prison in my entire life. So we met you a year and a half ago in May, and then we saw you in May in Kansas City. And at the time you were speaking, you, you and John and some of your team were at the Capitol January 6th. Talk to our viewers a little bit about the, the January 6th incident when you were there, what you were doing, and then what happened after that. Great. So I like to say from my perspective, January 6th was just another speaking engagement. That's going to really surprise people. But I was scheduled to speak January 3rd in Florida, January 5th in D.C., January 6th in D.C., and January 10th back in Florida. So these were just scheduled speaking events. As I said, I'm very heavily censored on, on social media. So I accept as many speaking engagements as possible. Of course I'm going to accept a speaking engagement that allows me to speak in front of a million people. I mean, of course, right? That's right. a no-brainer. So we were, I was one of about 20 people that was at a, a particular site, a scheduled permitted site mm -hmm. for speakers. And when I showed up there with the other 20 and security, it had just suddenly been canceled with no explanation. So we were right next to the Capitol. It was on the Capitol grounds, actually. So we, we went to the top of the Capitol steps, again, where I started to speak. Now, I happen to speak on medical freedom. Freedom of speech, you can speak about whatever you want. If you want to speak about the election, no problem. I happen to not be doing that. I'm talking about health freedom, medical freedom. And there I am at the top of the Capitol steps, literally talking about your constitutional right, sovereignty over your body. And in, in that process, the doors opened from the inside, and we were there at the top of the steps, and we got swept in with, with everybody else. I wouldn't have, I didn't mind going in, but I didn't plan to go in. And I, if I didn't, I could not have turned around anyway because there's thousands of people behind me. So we got swept into the building. And while inside, we walked around peacefully, calmly. And I decided, let me give my speech again because I'm really on a mission and All I'm right. supposed to give a speech. And there's lots of videos showing me giving my speech on medical freedom in the Capitol. You know, very, very polite, very respectful. There's a picture of officers walking behind me, looking very bored, more than anything. The, the number one expression was boredom. And then somebody, a cop, asked me to leave, and then we left. And that was it. And this seems impossible now, but really, we didn't think it was much of anything. It was joyful, it was happy. And I, of course I've seen those little areas that were not. Of course I've seen that. But what most people haven't seen is all the areas, like the 99% of them, that was joyful, peaceful, and happy. And that was a coordinated effort to suppress the truth. People who actually were sending out videos of how peaceful it was had their videos suppressed. The president actually tweeted to be very peaceful, and that, video was, uh, that tweet was taken off of Twitter. So I'm not saying that those pockets of badness didn't happen. I'm saying the overwhelming majority was not like that, and that information was suppressed. That's called omission bias. The, the media is fond of doing omission bias. We're not denying the bad, but you're denying the 99% that wasn't. For me personally, I didn't think this was such a big deal because I, of course, am not involved in anything negative or, or dangerous. Mm -hmm. I spend my life trying to help people. And, and that's it. And we went and had dinner that night. And the next day, uh, we, we had dinner with friends the next day in D.C. 
I, I don't watch the news, so I, I didn't know. And dinner that night, my friends were very, very alarmed. They told me that this was being called an insurrection. They were very scared for me. And I just laughed. I'm like, well, no, of course, that's crazy. That's crazy. Of course, you know, they were more right than I was. <laughs> and that was my January so 6th story. You were basically sentenced to 60 days in federal yeah. prison. And I remember vividly this summer, because I'm friends with Dr. Granberg and you're friends with her too. And I, she said, today's the day Simone's getting sentenced. So I actually... I'm kind of a crazy, I'm a freak when it comes to documentary reports. I actually recorded the sentencing, so I listened to your your, your communication and the judge. And I did that and sent it to Dana. I'm like, this is unbelievable that this is happening and that this happened this, this way. So you heard you heard what the judge said. First oh, all, I recorded the, it. The judge hated me. You could feel it in the room. There's tremendous hatred from him towards me or rage or fury, something. There's this huge like negative energy you could feel from him. But he happened to... to he, he just did not have the proper judicial temperament. Now, a judge, we give them power because we expect them to be dispassionate, rely on the facts, and judge each defendant based on the facts before him or her, right? What did this judge say? This judge said, I showed no remorse for the five people that died in the Capitol that day. Let's deconstruct that. First of all, five people did not die in the Capitol nope. that day, and he's factually inaccurate, which is inexcusable for a judge. Second of all, how does he know if I showed remorse or not, given that I hadn't said anything in the year and a half since, right? I kept my mouth quiet. I didn't tweet about it and post about it. So he's assuming facts, not in evidence, which is not a judicial thing to do. And third, even if people had died, what does that have to do with the defendant in front of you? That Read, was just reading an example. a piece of paper. What, yeah. That, that it, was it dangerous. Was, well, and if I remember, my memory serves me right, you and the judge went to law school together. So that's a good little story. That's, I thought that was a good it's little It's a little story. bit juicy. It's kind of funny. It's crazy. It's crazy. Not a you lot know, of people know this. And it's in D.C. And, it's, you know, we'll call nuts. it the District of Corruption and Communism. And so, so how this long after you got sentenced did, was it until you actually walked sure. into federal prison? Right. So you don't know at the outset how long it will be, but it ends up being about six weeks. So you get a letter in the mail, and then you have to report like 10 days later. So that's what it was. So I believe what I heard was you were supposed to go to a, a, a prison fairly close to your house, which was a somewhat decent, nice prison, and they ended up sending you to some place that was kind of more like a, a hole. Yeah, so the, really, so the Bureau of Prison uh, Risk stratifies defendants based upon, you know, their criminal history, their age, their gender, risk, you know, length of sentence, right? So and by all parameters, I was a minimum security risk. So I should have gone to a minimum security camp, but that's not where they sent me. They sent me to a maximum security detention center, which is insane and was very scary at the time when I found out about it. And I was almost frantic, like, how do I get this change? And this is, you know, did the judge put his thumb on the scale? I just didn't know. I, to this day, I don't know how that decision was made, but it, you have to accept reality. And that was reality. So I was sent to FDC Miami, which is quite unpleasant. And during the era of a so-called COVID, which again, this is late July, 2022. It just isn't right. a thing, okay? But they still have these quote unquote COVID rules and they put, it's, it's mostly a men's prison. So there's not a lot of women beds, but there are, it's a women's unit. But they didn't feel like opening up an additional women's unit for the COVID, right? So they put the women as they in, took them in, it's isolation cells. These are punishment cells. These are the small little punishment cells where you're thrown in if you've been fighting or you've right. had a weapon or contraband, right? That's where they put us and it's isolation for eight days and that was the most brutal part for sure. How much time did you get out of your cell each day? Zero. Really? Zero. And that whole time you never left that cell? Zero. Zero. It was unbelievable. So what about the food? 
Um, I just wanted to one more thing about the cell. The okay. worst part was we didn't know how long it would be. I couldn't get a straight answer for how long I'd be there. Mm-hmm. As far as I knew, it could be the whole 60 days. I didn't know. It turned out to be eight. But yes, moving on. <laughs> okay, the food is terrible. It's shockingly bad, <laughs> which I just thought was funny. I just thought it was funny. And it was also kind of small quantities, which I'm just going to throw it out there. You know, if it is the Bureau of Prisons' obligation to feed people, which it is, I actually think they were giving insufficient food to people, and it was really all carbs. It was, you know, so basically the prisoners buy extra food in the commissary. Now, I couldn't because my sentence was so short the way it was working. I really couldn't get any. Mm -hmm. But really, the prisoners are basically buying their own food is, is what it is. And it's just another example of... It's just really kind of corrupt. I mean, you know they have a budget for it. Right. So how are the other inmates to you? So the isolation was terrible. But the second scary part was when they walked me over to general populations. Because I know it was a maximum security place. And, you know, you walk in and, like, all eyes are on you. And it's a very dramatic moment for you, like, in your life. And you're like, why are they here? Like, what did they do? Are these murderers? Or, like, what's the deal? You take a breath and you exhale and you're like, I'm just going to go forward. And it turned out to be fine. And in a strange way, I, I don't want to minimize it, but I got the maximum out of it. If I'd only been at a minimum security camp, I would have met people more like myself. But being at a maximum security detention center, I met a lot of people that had very different life stories than I did. And it was really interesting. And that is the book that's coming out after this current book, which is a book about, from the perspective of the prisoner, for the purpose of informing the reader about the flaws in our system. Through their stories, you'll see what's wrong about the system. And I want to put a plea out there for anyone who's listening or hearing this. If you believe that humans are made in God's image, that we have the spark of the divine in us, you cannot be for long incarcerations. It's not consistent. When you look at the Bible, the Bible allows for monetary punishment, corporal punishment and capital punishment but there's no biblical precedent for long incarcerations so I was meeting people that were given 20 years and they're entirely different than they were 20 years ago and I do want politically conservative people people of faith to really start thinking about this issue you call yourself law and order and we do but we have an obligation to God and to each person to not squelch the divinity in that person and that person maybe has a mission Right, that we're blocking because they're sitting uh, stagnant for 15 years. And I do think that's part of the reason God had me end up there, was I have so many examples of society doing such evil to people. It shouldn't be that way. So I told Dana the day you went, and I said, oh boy. I said, she's going to come out stronger and tougher than ever. So talk to us about the resilience that you built while you were in there and how you feel now once you're out. Did it build character? Did it build yes. stamina, fight, what? There's a few things that, you know, when you face the worst thing that you could possibly face, and for me, a freedom fighter, loss of freedom, would be the worst thing I could face. The way forward is first you need to accept reality. This is reality. All the people that were telling me, oh, appeal this, appeal No, it's reality. This is my reality. And I'm going to a maximum security place. Once you accept reality, then you make the most of it. Step one, accept reality. Step two, make the most of it. For me... 
that was interviewing the other women getting their stories. For somebody else, it might be different. But make the most out of every situation that you find yourself in. We all have hardships. Dana, you know, when she decided to leave her practice, right, this is a very difficult thing. You then have to make the most of it. Accept reality, then make the most of it. Have faith. It's very hard in these moments to have faith. Look beyond yourself. You know, the more you look inward, the more depressed you get, the more self-pitying you get. So I definitely, I read the Bible the whole time in isolation. I was reading the Bible. And, you know, listen, Joseph went through hard times too. Many people went through hard times. And it really cheers you up. Not to be morbid, but like, right. been there, done that. They came through. It came out the other side. Because when you're in such a bad moment, you really think it's forever. But if you read the Bible, you discover it's not forever. No. Nope. Did, did your time go fast? No. So I sound <laughs> all, I sound all cheerful now, and I get it. But but no, it did not go fast. A lot of times when I was in general population and there was a clock because in isolation there's no clock. You look at the clock. It's one o'clock. It's one o five. Oh no. It's one o eight. The worst thing you can do is have a clock. Well, Just look at it. They're both bad. I will tell you that they're both bad. <laughs> because in isolation, every time a guard would buy, what time, I'd be asking what time it is. And, and that's also very disorienting. So what made the time go faster, once again, is getting outside yourself. So they had some games there, but mostly they're kind of boring games. But they did have chess. So I decided to see if anybody knew how to play chess. And then I started teaching people to play chess. And that was fantastic. Because it takes a long time. It's complicated. Yeah. It's also aggressive if you ever play chess it's an aggressive game so this is a very good thing to do with aggressive women give them an outlet for like because you can be like oh you know like you know what i mean oh yeah so yeah. we did that and we did pass i did pass happy hours and i with playing chess and i actually made some very good friends that's the truth so so where do you go from here i mean what's american frontline doctors what's the next big step yes so america's frontline doctors exists to uh inform people as to the truth because you're not getting the truth the government and the media are both suppressing it so we're going to bring you some version of like the antidote to the cdc all these three initial agencies that are lying to you, the cdc the who the nih the fda they're all kind of i, I hate to say lying it, it, they're just incentivizing the wrong direction. Big Pharma controls it. So Big Pharma can do good or it can do evil. But it's not, um, it's too powerful to be sure that you're getting this truth from them. So we will continue to bring you the truth, like the antidote message to the CDC. We have many, many doctors working that together. So there's a lot of news on that front in 23. The other thing we're doing, oh, not we, I'm doing, with a team, which includes Dr. Dana Granberg-Nil, is goldcare.com. Right. Goldcare.com is your way forward. It's our way, collectively, outside the medical Marxism. We teach you how to stop feeding the insurance beast that's strangling us, that's, that's ruining um, our, our nation. Like 20% of our healthcare costs are devoted to health. 20% uh, of our economy is devoted to healthcare costs, and that's essentially socialized because it's all set by Medicare or Medicare policy. So if we don't introduce free market forces anyway, we will end up as a communist nation anyway. Well, so Goldcare is the alternative. Goldcare.com. It's funny you talk about insurance. I woke up Saturday last Saturday with a torn retina. I had to go to the to a retina specialist. We get there at 7:30 a.m. Sunday morning, and uh, we're self-pay. We've been self-pay since we sold our company. And, you know, we asked the lady, she, we were like, she's like, well, can you pay $100? I'm like, yeah, we can pay whatever you want. 
And she says, well, I said, what, what does it cost if we just pay the whole thing in advance? She's like, oh, if you pay the whole thing in advance, we, we reduce it 50%. I'm like, 50% from insurance. I'm like, this is a scam. It's all a scam. You are, I hope you check out goldcare.com. When people discover what they're paying for, they're not they're not paying for the cost of medical care it has nothing to do with it virtually nothing medical care good medical care is actually cheaper than you think I'm not saying it's cheap right right I'm not saying it's cheap but it's cheaper than we've been led to believe between the insurance premiums the deductibles and the co-pays they're pocketing a lot of money that doesn't benefit you I invite all patient employers and all um, freedom-loving individuals to come find goldcare.com we're going to teach you how to move forward without insurance and in safety so there's goldcare.com, there's AFLDS.org, and then is there is there any other... Uh, well, you, should, you can follow me on Twitter or Truth Social, Dr. Simone Gold. Okay, and tell and us, I, 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 I sense there's a book in you. A book. A oh, book yes. in you, or maybe there's, two. There's Yes, yeah, so we're almost done. I'm a little behind, but we're almost done with a book about the whole January 6th experience. It's called Selective Persecution, which is a play <laughs> on, the, on, the, awesome. on the legal phrase, Selective Prosecution, which is, of course, what they're doing. But it's it honestly don't miss it. The book is so interesting. It's so interesting about January sixth, ending with kind of my experience. It's fantastic. And after that, I'm writing the book about the prison experience purely. This first one, selective persecution, has a lot about the prison as well. One, one more question: Did you get a lot of letters in prison? Oh my gosh! Thank you for that question. First of all, I want to thank you if you're listening or watching. If you've written to me, so I, to I and Dana said she said Darren she won't write she won't read your letter because she's waiting to get out to read them all because she has too many. Well, I got about an average about thirty a day, so I probably had about a thousand, and that was life changing. I have to tell you, it was life changing. Except that when I exited the prison, they told me that I had boxes and boxes of mail. So there were like ten boxes. We had tens of thousands of letters that I didn't even know I had received. Unbelievable. So those had to be sent to somebody else to read all of them. It was not possible. But they're sending them all back to me, and I will eventually see every single one. But everyone who wrote to me, there's no words to express my gratitude for taking your time to just you know find a stamp and an envelope and write and pour out your thoughts. Some letters were short. Some were long. They were all heartfelt. They, they saved me because you feel very isolated in that moment. I'm sure. Well, Simone, thank you for joining yes. us today. People, go out there, support Simone Gold. Go to AFLDS.org. Goldcare.com. Goldcare.com. Support her, what she's doing, her mission. Buy her books. Support her because she's supporting you. She's supporting medical freedom, and she's supporting America and your kids and your grandkids. Simone, thank you for joining us. Thank we appreciate you. it. Lovely. All right. Thank you. Take care. And See you on the next episode. See you.